just to remind us of that central piece in the story uh, of Jesus Christ's birth. Jesus Christ is, has been, will be, and should be going forward the main attraction of Christianity, the main attraction of our lives. He should sit as the centerpiece. And it doesn't matter if we're talking about the life of Zacharias or the life of Anna, the life of Mary, the life of Joseph, uh, the shepherds, the wise men, or any other character that we may have touched on over the last few weeks. They are always positioned in Scripture with their attention toward heaven's work. An answer that's being given, has been given, for humanity's lost state. And the main attraction is Jesus Christ. Nothing should change that reality. Jesus must be the center of it all. There's a song that says that. Jesus be the center of it all. What does that mean? It means putting him in the most prominent place that he should be in our lives. Right in the center of everything. When we talked about the shepherds for the shepherds, it says that he was the Savior, he was the Christ, he was the Lord. There's a lot of titles given to him. Luke 2 and 11 says, For there is born to you this day the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And I preached about that about four weeks ago. The shepherds came seeking a Savior. And all that, that we understand by the biblical account is that these unnamed shepherds were the first to be made aware of a Savior's arrival. And what an incredible thing to be attending a flock of sheep and witness the appearing of an angel, hearing that God is doing something, some good things, doing something different, that a Savior is born to you. And that was very much the point that was made, is that the Savior is born to you. He's not Mary's, he's not Joseph, he's not somebody else's, he's yours. Look at somebody next to you and say, he's mine. He's mine. He is yours. A Savior is born to you. And if you want to see what God is up to, there's a place where you can go and see what God is doing. And that's what the message was to those shepherds that over in Bethlehem, if you'll go over there, there is born to you a Savior. And I hope that people think that about Branches Church, that they think there's a place they can go and see what God is doing. That's my prayer for 2022. God, continue to do more, do greater things. I want to see bigger things happen. I want to see God move in a way that I've not seen him move. I want to move into a dimension that I've not experienced yet in my relationship with God. And I know you want that same thing. Praise God. The shepherds, were a low-class folk. They were common folk, you could say. They were people that were put out to pasture in a real sense. They were put out there in the pasture with the sheep, and God was for them. A Savior was for them. How many of us have thought, well, I'm nothing special, just common, I'm run-of-the-mill, I'm normal. Well, guess what? He came for the common. He came for common people. He came for common people facing common life issues and with common sins and common problems. He came for you and I. He came as a Lord and Savior of the common. And when God gets involved, common becomes uncommon because he's an uncommon kind of God. 
but he had to come in the common so that we would know he was for us and with us. Common have no chance without this Savior. Peter said it like this in Acts chapter 4 and 12, and he had it absolutely right. There is, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's no other answer. There's no other way. There's no other salvation. So the shepherd finally locating this babe in a manger. Now, I imagine they went with all kind of ideas of what they were going to find. But when they showed up, just a babe in a manger. Simple, not super impressive by sight, just another baby. But not just another baby. Maybe a little different setting than what may have been normal. Manger. Imagine it was you yourself walking into the setting. Luke 2 and 16 tells us they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph, the babe, lying in a manger. This is the Savior, the Christ, the Lord. And I can picture those shepherds milling about that manger, looking, really giving consideration to what they're witnessing. But at some point, they had to ask, what's the name? Of your baby. Hey, Dad, what'd you name him? Hey, Mom, what'd you name him? Angel said, Today a Savior is born in the city of David to you. What'd you name him? What name is given this Savior? Jesus. Pointed out last week that name was a very common name. It's like saying Joshua very common name. Luke 2 and 17 says, Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. The Savior Christ the Lord, his name is Jesus. He came to common people as a common man with a common name to do an uncommon work, Savior. The wise men came sometime later, and to them he was known as the king of the Jews, the Christ, a ruler. Matthew 2, 2 through 6 record the wise men. It says, where is he who is born king of the Jews? That's what they came looking for, and so it was natural that they would go to Jerusalem, the seat of power of Israel, looking for this king. Where is the king of the Jews? Where we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. When he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, Bethlehem, Judea. For thus it is written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So to these wise men, he was the king of the Jews. He was a ruler. He was a shepherd. These wise men, looking for a king, they finally find him. He was probably just a toddler, no older than 18 months to three years old. And his age 
made him dependent upon his mother still. They came looking for a king, found a little baby boy. But it did not change who he was. He was the king of the Jews. Much more than that even. The term king was not borrowed from humanity. The term king was given to some that are sovereign. Sovereign in his kingdom, having complete and total authority. And you know, we, we don't fully understand what it is to have a king in our current day and age. King is sovereign. What a king wants, a king gets. What a king determines for your life is what your life becomes. That's what a king is. They have complete, total authority. We like to take Jesus and call him a king, but if our lives are not spent serving under him and giving him all authority in our life, is he really king? Herod understood what was being implied in the title, and so he took action to stop this king. During Jesus' ministry, he exercised authority in every sphere known to man. That's what all the miracles were about. It was about showing that he was ultimately the sovereign king of kings. Every universal law was under the control of his powerful hand, his voice. It was the material, the physical, the mental, the moral, the emotional, the supernatural. He commanded them all. He could say without question, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Power, exousia, authority, jurisdiction, the right, the liberty, the power, the strength. Power over what? Jesus is king. He's king over illness. He's king over your emotional turmoil. He's king over your pain. He's king over your bondage of sin and of death. He is king over and has authority over everything that your life would come in contact with if you elevate him to king in your life. But then those wise men looking and observing this toddler running around the room, totally dependent on his mother, his father, thinking through what it meant for this to be the one, the king of the Jews. At some point in that ordained meeting with those parents, an 18-month-old presenting gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, I imagine they finally got to a question. What is his name? What is his name? Jesus. Jesus is his name. Character after character throughout Scripture ask, what is his name? Simeon ask, what is his name? Marveling at what Simeon had just proclaimed over Jesus, that he was going to be the chosen one. Mary had to say his name was Jesus. When Joseph had a vision, a dream of an angel, he said, he's going to be Emmanuel, God, with us. That angel said, you're going to name him Jesus. You're going to name him Jesus. Isaiah 7 and 14 said, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Jesus, God with us. 
Mary, when she heard the angel say to her that God was doing something in her life, it's going to be the son of the highest. It's going to be the son of God. And that's the only time that term son of God is used. Prior to that, it was only used by Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar said it whenever he saw three Hebrew boys that were thrown into a fiery furnace. Verse 25 of Daniel 3, he said, look, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire. They are not hurt. The form of the fourth is like the Son of God. No other time was that ever used. He's going to be the Son of God. What's his name? Jesus. You shall name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Oh, what a beautiful name. The name of Jesus. There are seven different terms used in speaking of him in his sonship. He's the son of Abraham. He's the son of David. He's the son of the Most High. He's the son of God. He's the son of man. He's the son of Mary. He's the son of a carpenter. That's the terms that the scripture used about him. But every one of those things represent him in a different dynamic way. They identify who he is and who he was when he was here. Son of Abraham makes his identity with the Hebrew people. How can he be king of the Jews if he's not identified with them? So he was son of Abraham. Son of David made him royalty. It identifies him with the royal line of David being king in his domain. Son of the Most High identifies him with being absolute in his authority. Son of God identified him as being essential deity. Son of man identified him with all of humanity. Son of Mary identified him with flesh and blood. Son of a carpenter identified him with labor and toil. What does that mean? It means wrapped up in all of those things identifying him, that he is identified with any and every person that has ever been on the face of this planet. No matter their station in life, no matter where they are, no matter what they walk through, he identifies with them. You might be sitting here today saying, well, I'm royalty. Guess what? He was royalty as well. You may be sitting here and saying, well, I'm not royalty. I'm just somebody who's living life and laboring and toiling. Guess what? He was the same as you. He was the son of a carpenter. He labored and toiled in this life, and he died for you and was resurrected with all power and all authority. He came to common people as a common man with a common name to do an uncommon work, a savior. Emmanuel describes him perfectly. He is God. He is God. But he's not just God. He is God with us. It places his identity with mankind. And so you may look at God and think he's far off removed. He's just the king, the Lord, or something else that you've elevated him to. But that's not all that he is. He is God with you. And if you'll let him in your life, if you'll let him in the 2022, he will walk right alongside of you, along with all of the trials and triumphs that you may go through, all of the struggles you may face, everything you deal with, he'll be right there because he is God with us whatever uncertainty there was before the birth of a baby in a manger toddler running around the room adult who's doing ministry now that he has come 
we are assured he is God with us. And his name is Jesus. And that name is a name above every other name. Philippians 2 and 9, Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every other name. And that name, it's powerful when you pray. And that name, it's powerful when you call on it. And that name, it's powerful whenever you're baptized in that name. It'll wash away your sins. That name is something special. It gives you access. It gives you a point of contact. It gives you a way to reach in and touch his world and bring him into your world. There's something about the name of Jesus. He didn't come just to be far removed for us. But he came so that we could gain access to him. That's what it was all about. One writer said, the writer of Hebrews talked about that he was making way to us. That's what he came to build the bridge back to us. We often make the mistake of saying, when I came to God, when I found God, we have it so backwards. And I know that makes sense from our perspective. My life was messed up. I found my way to a church, and God started doing a work in my life. That makes sense, but it's never been that way. It's always been about God working from where he's at to us. Jesus Christ's coming was all about God being manifest in the flesh so that God could be among us. God would be with us. God could do a work in us. That's what it was all about. Just like in the Old Testament, the tabernacle, that was all about God working toward man. Man would come to the gate and bring a sacrifice to the priest. The priest would offer the sacrifice and work his way into the Holy of Holies. But the Holy of Holies was a place that separated God from all of the rest of humanity. But he started with the Holy of Holies and he built from there out to the gate because it was about God getting to mankind. And I'm talking to someone this morning. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're here. You've been struggling through 2021. And you're wondering, where is God in all of this? I'm telling you today, God is working toward you. You don't have to work hard to get to God. God's working. God has done everything and did the ultimate work to get to you. To get to you. That's what Jesus was all about. It was him presenting a lamb for our sins. So that all we have to do is believe and respond to the good news that a Savior has come, born to you this day in the city of David. Bethlehem is a Savior. Aren't you thankful for the work that he has done? Why don't we lift our voice and worship Lord for just a moment. We're going to be ending soon. I want to invite you to stand with me. God, we magnify you. We praise you. God, we thank you so much for your spirit that is here, has been here today. God, I pray, Lord, that you would help us. Help us, God. There's someone that's been struggling. There's someone that's trying to determine what their next move is going to be. God, what their next year is going to be like. God, I pray, Lord, that you would help them. God, confirm to them the word that I was preaching today, that you are with them, that you have a work to do in their life. If 
to elevate you in their life and make you the centerpiece of everything. If you become the main attraction of our church services, God, you can do a work. If you become the main attraction of all of our prayers, you can do a work. If you become the main attraction of all of our affections, God, we take all the other things off of the throne that we put into our life and elevate you to the throne. You can do a work in our life, Lord. God, I praise you. I worship you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Aren't you thankful for the Spirit of the Lord that you feel here this morning? Amen, amen, amen. We're going to sing a song of worship to him with the lighting of the candles. Daryl, if you'll come, get ready to light. What he's going to do, he'll light one. And if you'll just turn and start lighting the person beside you or behind you, their candle. We're going to sing, Come Let Us Adore Him. We want Him to be the center of everything. Amen? We want Him to be the center of our worship and our attention. So why don't we do that? Why don't we turn our attention toward Him?